Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who, was, who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood had dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened, to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and there they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Our Father, we... We come to bless your name. Um, Lord, you are worthy of all the glory, of all the honor, and of all of our worship. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for um, your grace upon us that has called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And God, we thank you for um, the wonderful um, invitation to be uh, not only saved from sin, but invited into a family. Lord, we are the redeemed, and we uh, consider it a privilege to be a part of what you are doing in the world to bring lost men and women, boys and girls, to yourself. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, we pray that you will do what only uh, you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you make your word come alive and effective in our hearts that we might not merely be hearers, but doers of your word. 
And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I thank you that you are our rock. I thank you that you are our strength. And Lord, I thank you that you are our redeemer. And it's in your matchless name, the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I um, am sure and certain that uh, your new year has started off fast and furious. Uh, if you're like most, when it comes to the new year, you've had your resolutions and um, your new uh, maybe eating habits or exercise routines. How many of y'all are, stick, have, are, are still on those and have been sticking with it? Anybody off their, their resolution already? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the vision boards have come together. You've got everything that that you want to do this year to accomplish and get done. Um, 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 your Bible reading plan, you know, you started on, on, on January 1st in Genesis 1, and now you're, you don't know where you are, right? You've gotten off track. Every, every year, the new year brings about uh, us filling our schedules and filling our time with things that we uh, think are important and that we want to do. Uh, growing up in a, a video game era and generation uh, and being a, a former uh, athlete, one of my favorite video games was uh, Madden. And, and, and as I would play Madden, uh, one of the things Madden would say on the game is speed kills. And when Madden would say speed kills, uh, he would use it actually in a positive way to um, show how uh, speed is a weapon that is uh, used um, for um, actually gaining an advantage over your opponent. And so when a, when a fast player uses his speed in the right way, he can make a big play. Um, or he can, uh, you know, make a play for his team. And one of the things that I've noticed is with our scheduling and, and, and everything that we have going on within the year, you know, we have become accustomed and hardwired for speed. Everything we do, we want it to be done fast, whether it's fast food or microwaving things, whether it's internet or, 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 or Apple Pay. Everything we do, it has to be done quickly and in a hurry. Even the sermon. Uh-oh. We want the sermon preached fast. Because we just got to get to the next thing. And so we've been hardwired for speed. But, 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 but here's the thing. If we're not careful, our speed can kill in a negative sense. When we allow the hurry and the busyness to distract us from the mission and the purpose that we were created for by God. There's so many things that that we can learn from the people uh, in this passage. But, but looking at Jesus, the main thing I want us to emphasize and take away is that all disciples must seek to live purposefully busy on mission to know Jesus and make him known. See, what you, what you notice is that, 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 or one thing I want to encourage us to know is that busyness is not necessarily a problem. It's not a problem that you have things that you need to get done, that Things fill your schedule. 
Uh, Jesus is busy. So busyness is not the issue, but busyness needs to be stewarded in a way that will allow us to do the things that we were designed to do, mainly engage in the mission of God. See, Jesus is always busy, but he is never in a hurry. Jesus is always busy, but he's never in a hurry. Jesus shows us that busyness can actually be purposeful, not purposeless. And I know sometimes when we think about things being purposeful, we think about those things that give us great joy and um, excitement and things that bring fulfillment. But the reality of the believer is that our true fulfillment comes when we are doing what it is that God has called us in this world to do, to go and make disciples, to engage in preaching the gospel uh, wherever we go, to see people and to um, find people who are far from God and bring them near to him. Jesus' busyness is always fruitful. It's, It's because he understood his mission. He understood for the purposes he uh, came into the world. And everything he did was on purpose and for a purpose. So, looking at this passage, we, we, we ask many questions, but one in particular is how can we leverage our lives so that uh, our busyness is purposeful? The first thing I want us to see in this passage are the desperate circumstances surrounding uh, the people in the passage. We're introduced to um, um, Jairus. He is a synagogue leader. This man has uh, prestige. He has um, a sense of status in uh, the community of the Jews, and he is uh, seen as a man who has um, a sense of, uh, of power. But with all that he has, he doesn't have enough power to um, protect or stop whatever's happening with his daughter. In fact, she is um, 12 years old and she is basically on her deathbed. And Jairus, not knowing uh, what else to do, he goes to the one that actually the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees had a big problem with. Nobody wanted to really be seen with Jesus. If you were a religious leader in that day and in that time, you wanted people to come to you. You had all the answers. You were the teacher. To be seen with Jesus was embarrassing to have to go to him because you were the one who knew the law. You, 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 you knew how this thing was supposed to go. In fact, if you go to John in 3, you see Jesus engage with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dead of night because he, he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus in public because he knows the risk and the ramifications of that. But there's a desperate circumstance for Jairus. And all that is thrown out the window. He doesn't care about how it looks. All he cares about is um, can uh, this man can help my child? 
And if you're a parent in the room, you can understand Jairus' um, desperation in this moment and in this time because one of the hardest things as a parent to do is to watch your children go through pain, to watch your children suffer. Jairus, he, he, he could care less about what people may say. He could care less about uh, how it might look. Uh, he could throw all of that status and position out of the window. The main thing he's concerned about is his daughter. And in typical uh, Markin fashion, there's this thing called a Markin sandwich. And if you're hungry this morning, uh, we're going to give it to you. Um, this Markin sandwich is where Mark starts a particular story and ends with that same story, but sandwiched in the middle is another story. And, and, and he does that to uh, show that these two stories are in many ways connected together. And so we see Jairus go to Jesus, and he tells him about the condition of his daughter, and, 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 and Jesus gets up, and he goes with him. And on their way, uh, a woman suffering from an issue of bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. So we're introduced to uh, a woman. We don't know her name. All, of, all that we know is that she'd been suffering with a condition for 12 years. Her situation and her circumstance is desperate, where the daughter of Jairus is 12 years old on her deathbed. This woman had been dying for 12 years. She's dealing with this problem of bleeding. And this problem is a, a problem that made her a social outcast. She would have been considered unclean under the Mosaic law. People would have looked at her and, 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 and gotten away from her, or she would have gotten away from them because of her condition. It caused her to be ostracized. It caused her to be looked down upon. It caused her to be on the fringes. She tried to do something about this problem. She tried many, uh, many times to go to many different doctors, and the scriptures say in 26 that she'd endured much under many doctors. And here's the thing, she had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. Anybody ever felt like They've gone to the doctor only for things to just get increasingly worse. She was not getting the help that, that, that she uh, thought that she would receive from the doctors. The, the condition that she had is beyond their ability. Can't you see the desperation of the circumstance? Jairus, his daughter, is beyond his ability 
to help. This woman in this passage, uh, her condition is beyond the doctor's ability to help. She exhausts all of her resources, and yet nothing seems to be getting any better. Nothing seems to be getting any better. But I love 27. It says, having heard about Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. She heard about somebody who could do something about her condition. And I find it interesting that both Jairus and this woman hear about the same person who can do something about their desperate circumstance. Now, I don't know um, where they heard about Jesus. All I know is that they heard about him. And we know that Romans 10 tells us that uh, um, um, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word about So it is for those of us who, who find ourselves in desperate circumstances. All of our uh, uh, physical circumstances are not necessarily the same, but there is a desperate circumstance that we all share, and that's the desperate circumstance of sin. The Bible says that, that sin entered the world because of Adam's rebellion and disobedience to eat from the tree of the, the, the knowledge of good and evil when God told him, don't eat. And as a result of Adam's decision, sin enters the world, and sin is simply any thought, word, or action that is contrary to God's character and his holiness. And you and I all share this Adamic nature. We all share this sin nature, and it is a desperate circumstance. In fact, it's the most desperate circumstance. All of us find ourselves severed from the author of life so that um, we are dead, as Paul says, in our trespasses and sins. And I don't know when the last time you showed up at a funeral but if you ever tried to call the name of the person in the casket, how many of you have heard the person or seen the person respond? So it is with our hearts. It is uh, as though uh, we are uh, unable to respond to, uh, to God. And so God had to do something in order to make us come alive. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. So we all find ourselves in a uh, gyrus circumstance. We all find ourselves in this woman's uh, predicament from a spiritual perspective, but, but they're dealing with some very uh, physical realities. And, and here's the thing about trials and tribulations. You're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're headed to one. And so if you're not in the trial this morning, as the old folk used to say that I grew up under, you just keep living. There's something up the road for you. But I think that whenever we find ourselves in a desperate uh, 
circumstance, the question we need to um, ask ourselves is where are we taking the desperation? Where are we taking the desperation? Because this woman, she, she tried the doctors. Uh, I'm sure uh, she tried all that she could. She exhausted all these resources. Um, and Jairus, he, he, he probably tried praying, and he, he tried to uh, do what he thought uh, he could in order to remedy his daughter's problem. But what we see is that both of them wind up in the same place at the same time in this divine appointment, this divine appointment. Um, and so we've said that, that um, there's desperate circumstances, but all desperate circumstances do or should do is lead us to these divine appointments with Jesus. So Jesus is busy. He's on his way to help out Jairus and to heal his daughter because Jairus demonstrates this faith to say that, Jesus, uh, you're the one who can do it. This, um, but then all of a sudden, he's interrupted on his way by this woman. How many of you know interruptions are going to occur in your life? Anybody? Anybody? Any interruptions are just a part of life. And one of the things that, that, that I want us to be able to understand and see is that um, not all interruptions are inconveniences. Not all interruptions are uh, inconveniences for us, but many of the interruptions are opportunities and appointments for us to be able to engage in the mission of God. We see that Jesus took this opportunity in this moment and this interruption to pay attention to the woman uh, that had touched him. So Jesus is on his way to Jairus' home, and there's a crowd of people gathered and following Jesus. And all of a sudden, this woman, she comes up behind Jesus only to touch him because in her mind, uh, perhaps uh, she didn't quite understand um, um, everything about Jesus, but she had the faith to know that uh, perhaps if I just touch him, he can make me whole. She presses her way uh, through the crowd. Now, the thing about this is that uh, this woman is actually breaking the law in order to get to Jesus. She's not supposed to be touching anyone, and yet she's uh, weaseled her way through this crowd and found her way behind Jesus and touched him. And then something, something happens. Jesus stops. Immediately, this woman knew that she was healed as she touched Jesus. And then immediately, Jesus knew that power had left him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, who touched your clothes? What do you mean who touched your clothes? You don't see all these people around here? All these people pressing in on you? There's this whole crowd and you have the nerve to ask who touched you? 
Like, what's wrong? Something's got to be wrong with this guy. Here's the thing. Jesus knew that power had gone from him. The woman knew that she had been healed. But the disciples had no clue. So when Jesus says, who touched me? It's an opportunity for the disciples to see what's about to unfold so they can realize who Jesus is. Now, here's the thing. Jesus had just, not too long ago, calmed the storm. Jesus had just healed a demon-possessed man. And here it is, Jesus healing this woman who had been dealing with an issue for so long that nobody could fix, and he's about to show them once again his power. He's about to show them that there is no uh, thing in nature, there is no disease, there is no uh, disaster that I don't have power over. He wants his disciples' faith to increase. He wants them to be able to trust him. He wants them to see that he is the God-man, the one who has come to set humanity free. And so Jesus stops. He asks the question, who touched me? Disciples say, you see the crowd pressing in on you, verse 31, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. And the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. Jesus says, daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. So we see that this, this appointment, this woman coming to, to Jesus, he asked who touched him. She, uh, trembling in fear, steps out from among uh, the crowd and tells Jesus the whole truth. Yes, I am unclean. I, I, I know I wasn't supposed to touch you, but it was me. And I have been suffering for 12 long years. I have been dealing with this condition for 12 long years, and I'm the one who touched And look how Jesus addresses her. He doesn't, he doesn't scold her, or he doesn't embarrass her, or he doesn't um, um, call her according to what she had been going through and dealing with. He now addresses her as daughter. What a privilege, brothers and sisters, to be addressed by Jesus as Son, daughter, we are God's children. We have been healed of our sin because of what Jesus has done for us at Calvary. So that when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't uh, address us as we were, but as we are. Covered by his blood, we will 
in just a few moments, remember what Jesus has done for us at Calvary. And it was at Calvary where the justice and the wrath of God met the grace and the mercy of God. And Jesus takes our sin and our shame and our guilt in exchange for his perfection and his righteousness. And we are now covered. The sin that we committed in the past, the sin that we commit in the present, and the sin that we have yet to commit has all been covered by the cross. And So if that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what will, because that's the glorious good news of the gospel, that Jesus no longer sees us as enemies, but as family. He sees this woman here as a daughter. He says, your faith has made you well. Now, this doesn't mean that if you just have enough faith, everything you want, you're going to get. This doesn't mean that you can just go around and, 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 and begin manifesting whatever you want because you have faith. Uh, just so you know, you can't manifest anything. God is the one who speaks into the nothingness and says, let there be and there was. God is the one who can say to this woman, be healed. Christ is the one who has all authority and all power. He is the one uh, who makes um, the, 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 the faith effective in that he is the one who can cause things to happen. He is the source. As the Hebrew writer says, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, our faith must be in the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. And that doesn't always mean that things are going to turn out like we want at every point in our lives. There will be times when uh, God intervenes in ways that, 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 that heal in the way we thought. But then there may be times where he may heal in ways we didn't think. But God is never guilty of being unjust. He's never guilty of being um, 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 wrong in how he decides to answer the question or how he decides to intervene in the situation. And I imagine at this time, Jairus is like, okay, like we got we to get moving. You know, I know, you know, you did all this here. And, and all of a sudden, there's a buzz, buzz on his hip, and he checks the text message right quick, and he says, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. And then they ask him a question, why bother the teacher anymore. Why bother the teacher anymore? You can imagine him uh, reading this text, and all of a sudden his heart begins to sink, and he thinks, oh no, we're too late. 
And Jesus is in earshot of, of what's being said to him by these uh, people that have come from the house. And Jesus, when he overhears it, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And it's interesting because it wasn't just two verses earlier that this woman has been healed and Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be healed from your affliction. And I can imagine she is still there on the scene and Jesus may have maybe used her as an illustration, maybe even to Jairus and just saying, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. Maybe even looking in the direction of the woman or pointing to her saying, you see what I just did with her, this woman who had been dying for 12 years. Don't, don't you know that I can heal your daughter. So we see these desperate circumstances. We see that all of our desperate circumstances ought to lead us to the only one who can heal the circumstance, and that is Jesus. So that we encounter him and have these divine appointments. But we know that when Jesus shows up, there are some distinct results. There are distinct results when Jesus gets involved. We see the woman is healed completely. She's healed completely. When Jesus gets involved in the situation and the circumstance, expect things to be different. There's going to be things about you and I that when Jesus has transformed us, that will begin to be different than we had been prior to his involvement. And we see that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he transforms us, he changes us. Love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were uh, objects of God's wrath. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then he says, but God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for the but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love he has for us, made us alive even we, when we were dead. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. So when Jesus shows up, he makes those uh, dead things come alive. It's not the first time that Jesus is getting ready to go to a uh, funeral, as it were. But Jesus is the one who can show up to the funeral and stand at the, the tomb and call out Lazarus to come forth, who had been dead four days. Jesus is the one who can show up and speak to that dead thing and cause it to come alive. And we're getting ready to see that Jesus is about to do that here. So he says, don't be afraid, only believe. He doesn't let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. 
And they came into the leader's house, and he saw the commotion. These professional wailers that were hired by the family to, 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 to weep and to lament the death of the child. There's a whole lot of, of, of um, sadness in the atmosphere, a whole lot of commotion going on, and Jesus shows up and he asks, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And what do they do? They laugh, they ridicule, they mock, but he put them all outside. He took up the child's father and mother, those who were with him. I can imagine the parents are in tears. They go into the place where the child was, and then he takes this little girl by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. And look how she responds immediately. The girl got up and began to walk. She had to respond when Jesus spoke to her. When Jesus speaks, things change. Things must respond to the one who is the creator of all. Creation must respond to the voice of the one who says, let there be. And there was. And she gets up. And immediately she begins to walk. There's a distinct result. There's a distinct difference about this uh, girl now uh, than prior to when Jesus got there, so that we see when Jesus is involved in the situation, when Jesus shows up to the place where death is, he doesn't see death the same way we do. Jesus is able, like in the Lazarus story, (laughs) to make death smell beautiful. He demonstrated as much as he goes to Calvary and he dies the death that we deserve. And then three days later, he rises victoriously over sin, death, and the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. He demonstrates that here to Jairus and his wife. We all are going to have desperate circumstances. But I want to encourage us that as we uh, walk through life, we don't um, try to find the remedy or the answer in, 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 in other things that are not sufficient enough to uh, bring us the um, satisfaction that we desperately crave. What we're looking for can only be found in Christ. And that's why we must go to him and bring him all of our pain, all of our cares. The Bible says that uh, we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. As we see this passage, a few application points 
that I just want to encourage us to, to have or to do, to practice. One is to be desperate for Jesus. Be desperate for Jesus. In your desperate circumstance, um, your desperation ought to be that you are desperate for him. Is prayer your last response or your first resort? Prayer ought to always be your first response. Go to Jesus. He is the one that you can bring all of the desperation to. As we see with Jairus and the woman, bring your cares to Jesus. Whether it be the, the, the difficult spouse or the wayward child or the um, lack of financial resources or um, the, the, the pain that's been racking your body. Worried about what's going to come tomorrow. Jesus tells us in Matthew that we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. We have a Father who is good and who cares about us. He says that all of our needs will be given to us if we seek the kingdom of God first. All these other things are going to be added to you. Bring your cares to Jesus. This passage also communicates that we need to believe. We need to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what we could not. He has become like us so that we could become like he is. We must believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one is able to come to the Father except through him. He is the one uh, that has taken uh, all of our sin and thrown it in the sea of forgetfulness. Jesus is the one that we must have faith and trust in. But we need to also busy ourselves with the mission. As you can see, Jesus is concerned about the people. As he's going, he is um, intentional about engaging in the people who need uh, his uh, touch or his uh, time. And sometimes I know in the, in the hustle of our routines, we can um, often miss people right around us. But I want to encourage us to see the people as the mission. Here's the thing. The gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. And so God has us where he has us in our uh, neighborhoods and in our cities and our communities so that we could be conduits, not cul-de-sacs of the gospel. So that when we um, encounter people in desperate circumstances, we uh, are perhaps interrupted because God has appointed that time to be a divine appointment so that they might hear about Jesus. So that then there can be a, uh, a coming to um, the reality of their need placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result, we see the distinct result that God works and brings about in their hearts. Our lives are not purposeless. We don't, we don't just live and uh, nothing, 
you know, excuse me, nothing um, uh, is coming after this. Our lives are to be lived in such a way that at the great and last day when God cracks the sky and we see him as he is, we want all to be a part of that great day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God is using us to get to other people so that they will name the name of Christ, that they will be there on that great day from every nation, tribe, and tongue. God is making, as Paul was saying, Corinthians, his appeal through us to people to be reconciled to God. But if we're so consumed with just getting to the next thing, oftentimes we can hurry past the moment and the opportunities to engage with the people that God has placed in our path to meet, to engage. And I know sometimes when we think about this mission, we think about the vast number of people who are lost in their sins. And it can be a daunting thought to think about how many people are far from God, who are dead in sin. But who's one person that is close to you and far from God? Could you just engage with one person for the rest of the year, hold on to them, even when they let go of you, pursue that person? talking to a brother uh, not too long ago, and he was just saying how uh, he had a friend who was uh, a Muslim who was converted to Christianity, who um, basically his family rejected him and, and turned their backs on him and everything, but this friend was pursuing him even when um, he was trying to avoid him, and over and over and over he would pursue and pursue and pursue to the point that um, this guy... Um, ended up surrendering his life to Jesus because um, he started wondering (laughs) why it is this guy was so um, passionate about his faith, was passionate about him meeting Jesus. What I'm saying is that sometimes, you know, we have people on a timetable. Well, you know, it's been a week. You know, if they haven't come to faith in a week, and we just move on. No, sometimes it takes walking, journeying with people. Perhaps God has put you in the neighborhood that you're in to have roots there, to be a light to that neighbor over a significant amount of time, to invite them into your home so that the front door of your church can be the front door of your home before they even get into the front door of the church in order to engage them so that they too might meet Jesus. So we see that Jesus has come to save those who are broken, those who are dead in their trespasses and sin. He has come to make them alive. And he has saved you and I, not merely to sit, but to send us so that we too might engage people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, that they might come alive and experience this life-transforming faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that when we were dead, you didn't leave us in our trespasses and sins. 
Lord, today as we remember what you have done for us at Calvary, we recognize, Lord, that, Lord, you didn't have to do what you did, but we're grateful that you did it. We thank you that you have sacrificed your son, Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. We thank you that you demonstrate your love for us while we were still sinners. You sent Jesus to die for us. You didn't wait for us to get ourselves together. And so, God, might that be the reality of each and every one of us as we engage with those we come in contact with, Lord, that we wouldn't necessarily wait till they change before we engage with them, but that we would engage with them, that you might change them from the inside out. We thank you for um, giving us a model for how to live or leverage our lives in the busyness of what we face, that as we go through our jobs, as we go through our days, Lord, that we would have a purpose of uh, your mission that you have sent us into these places to be a light for you. And Lord, we thank you for all that you will do as you use us as vessels and conduits through which um, you accomplish your good purposes. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.